A few months ago, we did a show about sequels. What makes a good or bad sequel? Now, one area we didn't cover was that of the horror film. This is an area famous for follow-ups, which we couldn't explore because, of course, I was working with Graham and Neil, people who consider A Nightmare Before Christmas the scariest film ever made. <laughs> I, I, I I'm really, trembling just at the mention of that. I, I'm sure. I really needed an expert to be able to have a proper conversation. Luckily, we have one available. Hold my beer, Lucy. Here I go. <laughs> Ignore him. Welcome back to the show, Lucy. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks, guys. I haven't got coronavirus yet, so all is well. But have you got toilet roll? That's the important question. Yes, I'm all right on toilet roll. <laughs> Everything is fine. That's good. There's plenty apparently being bought for car boot sales at the moment. Moving on from that, although... Whenever Neil watches a horror film, he does need a lot of toilet oh, roll. Um, what are you talking? <laughs> I don't watch horror films unless I trick you. Yeah, yeah. Now it seems that most horror films do have sequels, but are they any good? And it's a general rule, I would say, that most horror sequels are poor. Do you think that's a fair rule, Lucy? I'm inclined to agree with you. I think the beauty of the horror film is when you get an original concept and you do it for the first time it's very difficult to to do it again. For a lot of people, things like, and I know we'll talk about these later on in the podcast, but things like Paranormal Activity and things like Saw, it was such a revolutionary concept to begin with. And it's like, how can you keep doing that without, you know, repeating yourself and, you know, using cheap jump scares and stuff? I think it's just a shame that the quality tends to decline. And there's not a lot of sequels that I would consider good. There are some that I would think are okay, but I would never, like, consider them on the same level as their their predecessors, unfortunately. Do you think part of this is you're a young filmmaker, you've just got your first film made, it's a horror movie because it's cheap, it's quite a good idea. Saw, we'll come back to Saw in a minute, but Saw is a great example of this. You, you've mm-hmm. made that film, but for you, it's just a stepping stone. You have no interest in doing other films in a series on it. You've done what you wanted to say. It's opened the door for you to do bigger projects, James Wan, who did Saw, has now directed Aquaman, and he's doing Aquaman too, I believe. It's that stepping stone. So if the person who's the idea behind it is gone, then all a sequel can be, potentially, is just a carbon copy of what was made before. Yeah, I think, you know, it's a good point. You, like you said, a lot of young filmmakers will do horror first because it is cheap to make. Like, Paranormal Activity is a perfect example of that. These were completely unknown actors. You know, they used, <laughs> they used like, fish and wire. It was, like, I think they had a budget of, what, like, $10,000 or something? Yeah. Well, fuck, so much. And, yeah, and then it just declined in quality, and I think it's just it's never going to be the same as, as the original idea, but they've got to make their money. They've got to, you know, keep making their films. So, you know, I can't really blame them. It's just a shame that I've never really been impressed with the franchise on the whole. I think Paranormal Activity is a really interesting one because it plays with the idea in the first film of what happens in your house when you're asleep. And Mm -hmm. you've got little things like, you know, there's scenes with the bedclothes being taken off, shadows at the doorways, all really, really good stuff. And in the second one, what do you get? Underwater vacuum cleaners cleaning the swimming pool, going back and forth through the whole film for the one scare of it jumping out of the pool. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. really, really not thought through. And I think one of the other things, certainly with a film like Paranormal Activity, is it tries to add a mythic quality, a an overarching story to it, which it didn't need. It was just a good, scary film. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we'll see. Let's take this into 
one series and and one that's very close to your heart, Saw. Why are you so desperate to get your son back? Because he's my son. What's the last thing you said to him before you left him? Oh my God! It seems to me that the knowledge of your son's impending death is causing you to act. Why is it that we're only willing to do that when a life is at stake? I've always loved my son. It's never changed. No, no. It's changed now. You see, the knowledge of death changes everything. If I were to tell you the exact date and time of your own death, it would shatter your world completely. I know. How do you mm-hmm. think that has sort of panned out as a series? I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with Saw, I must admit. I think the original one, like I've said countless times, is fantastic. And I think, you know, it relied on minimal gore. It was very much in your head. It was very psychological, primarily one location. It, I thought it was brilliant, honestly. The second one I liked as well, because it was kind of like the sort of almost like all the different traps and stuff. And it was the first time we actually got to see Jigsaw as well, which was, was cool. I think the good thing about Saw actually is that John Kramer is a very good villain. And I think his backstory is the thing that's kind of carried the entire franchise. If it wasn't for Tobin Bell, that series would have failed very fast, I think. But the strength of his villain and the strength of his motive is something that kept me engaged. And that's interesting because for most of the first film, you don't even know he's there. Absolutely, yeah. You only barely know. I mean, he's got one shot in a hospital bed, I think, and that's about it, really. And then, and obviously the big reveal at the end, but beyond that, no clue. So again, like Paranormal Activity then, this is a film that then expands its, its mythos to a level of, you know, you've got this guy, there's a morality behind what he's doing, and then all of a sudden it becomes this huge tapestry of a story. Yeah. Do you think that works? <sighs> yes and no. I think the first two I quite enjoyed, and three was certainly the goriest of, of the entire franchise, I think. And then after three, for me, it goes downhill. Okay, just want to pick up on something you said there, which I think is um, quite interesting. Do you think one of the reasons when they do a horror uh, sequel, they get up the gore quantity to keep you sort of fixated on it? Yeah, I think three was incredibly bold, and three used traps that were utterly horrific and there was a lot more visual effects there was a lot more gore and i think perhaps that wasn't the right decision do you want to do you want to give one of those traps for graham and neil because they've eaten and i want to see what what, i want to see what happens to him when you describe this okay so there's i'm sorry guys (laughs) there's one where this woman is suspended by her ribs and she's got things dug into her ribs and she has to retrieve a key out of a bowl of some kind of acid uh (laughs) and she manages to get the get the key out but the lock on her thing was, was actually like not actually um real and it was like a sort of she was going to die anyway and this this machine basically rips open her entire rib cage and it just goes everywhere you can watch it <laughs> there's a clip on youtube <laughs> I, I think i'll stick with mr creosote in uh in yeah in Python. oh good grief Thanks for that. You're welcome. That's very vivid imagery. Yeah, Thank I you think very I'll much. stick with Wallace and Gromit. I, I wish you could see their faces at this God moment in time. This well, ho- I tried to keep it like not that descriptive either. So <laughs> no, 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 no. You, you, you failed there. So she's trying to get a key out of a bowl of acid. Yeah. So- and that's the distraction, and it's all a ruse. 
Have you not seen Hostel? Do you not know no, of these films? No, not at all. Okay, right, okay. So, after yeah. three, where did the series go? It took a very strange turn, and I think I might be wrong here, and I'm trying because obviously there's been so many films, but you kind of, <laughs> he dies in three, Jigsaw, spoiler alert. Four, he has like a new apprentice that comes in, and then it's just sort of a ghost down a weird path. And I think killing off John Kramer that early was probably the wrong thing to do because the, the sort of apprentices I wasn't that invested in. Just for the purposes of Neil and Graham, just explain to yeah. them what The Apprentice is. The Apprentice is somebody that's basically been tested by Jigsaw or has been involved with Jigsaw and then kind of almost develops like a sort of Stockholm Syndrome and starts to sort of carry on his horrible creations and then they become like the new Jigsaw almost. So I don't even get the original concept. Why is Jigsaw torturing people? Is he just a psychopath? Is he just like... Um, yeah, a lunatic. So we had basically he had a really shit run of luck. He um, ended up having a brain tumor. His wife lost a baby of theirs. His life dramatically went downhill, and he snapped and was basically like, "I've been a you know upstanding citizen. I've been brilliant. I've you know done everything I should be. And there are people out there that aren't cherishing their life, and they should be punished for not valuing the life that they have." That's kind of his ethos. Um, So the repeated phrase called cherish your life, which is what he tells people to do. If you get out of this trap, it's like you've redeemed yourself. It's like redemption. It's almost like a sort of biblical test almost of will you do this to survive? And when you have survived this trap, will you go on to be a better person in in a twisted way? In, In a sense, there's elements of breaking bad in this. This is a guy who started off good, but when we meet him, he's already corrupted. Yeah, okay. So twisted morality tale. Yeah. All right. Okay. Exactly. So he's a very good, well-rounded character. But I think killing him off was the wrong thing to do. So he died in three. How many yeah. other films up to Jigsaw, which we'll talk about separately, were there then? There were seven before Jigsaw. Right. So there were four. So, so like, after he died, they did another four films. They did another four films. That's correct, yeah. Did it add anything? Not really. <laughs> And what, what's the box office like for these after the first one, which must have made a fortune if they made it for... Next to nothing. Next yeah. to nothing. I think there must have been a dedicated fan base, otherwise they would have stopped making them, surely. I don't have the exact figures, to be honest. I know that it's kind of become a cult classic. You know, they have created like horror like mazes for Halloween based on Saw. They've created a ride at Thought Park. It's been franchised incredibly well, but I just think the quality has definitely gone downhill. But they certainly have a fan following. I mean, any kind of like, if you look at horror Twitter, I'm sure quite a lot of them would enjoy that kind of franchise. I don't know about the exact figures, though. It would be something very much in um, Zoe, aka Zobo with a shotgun sort of remit, that type of horror as well, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> I, I hate the term, I hate this, but it's technically called torture porn because it's of the body. It's the body being tortured. Horror porn. Pornography. <laughs> yeah. Pornography, I like that. Yeah, exactly. So they've made seven films. Where did Jigsaw fit yeah. into this, the next film? I hated Jigsaw. I hated it. Out of all of them, this was the worst. <laughs> Why was that? It was almost like a flashback to, like, oh, God, the story was so crap, I, I've forgotten basically what happened. <laughs> it was supposed to be, like, it tricked the audience into thinking that it was a brand-new set of games and it was actually a flashback. Or It was awful. I, I really didn't like it. 
there's a real element of desperation for the horror sequel. They can't even go forward. They're actually making something in the past and making you think it's gone forward. Yeah, it was so, I just did not like it. And I probably, I may have even butchered that plot, to be quite honest, because I took nothing away from it, you know? I just know that I hate it. Too many people are trying to be here, and there's too many copycasts, I'm just getting bored of it. And you can probably tell by my voice that I just do not care about this film. <laughs> I don't care. Even if I've got the details wrong, I don't care about it. I really don't. Dare, dare um, I ask about it, Spiral? Yeah, you can ask about Spiral. Um, do you know what? I'm... At first, I was like, what is this nonsense? I don't want to watch this, but I'm willing to give it a go. I will definitely go and watch it. I think it looks unique. It looks like it's at least bringing something new to the table. I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt, and I hope it doesn't let me down. For the benefits of the other two with me, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Spiral (laughs) is the next film in the Saw series. Number nine? Potentially, but it stars Chris Rock and Samuel L. Jackson, so it's people and characters who have nothing to do with any of the original series. So how all this ties in, we don't know. It's more like a spin-off, so it's not technically in the same universe as the Saw films. Well, well, it is, but I mean the same sort of like franchise. It's meant to be a different film, and I'm kind of keen to see what they do with it. It looks unique. I mean, they've got the director of Saw 3 attached to Spiral. Okay. I know that much. So at least they have some kind of link back to the originals, but yeah, I'm I want to like it, I do, but I'm I'm a bit nervous. The interesting thing is you've got Chris Rock starring in what is not a comedy. Right, yeah. And yeah. Chris Rock is a huge fan of the Saw film, so to, to see what we've got. And this is this other thing about sequels, and as we've gone through Saw, you can see it, that it's just lost its way. It's tried to be clever with its last film by setting something prior to the events of the series, and now you've got something different by fans mm. of the series. And and that leads me into to talk a little bit about Halloween because we're almost in a, in a similar sort of vein. You've got the Halloween original movie, 1978, John Carpenter. Seems to me you're just plain scared. Yes. Yeah, I, I am. Uh, I met him 15 years ago. I, I was told there was nothing left, no reason no uh, conscience, no understanding, and even the most rudimentary sense of life or death, of good or evil, right or wrong. I met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face and the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. I spent eight years trying to reach him, and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. Which is a massive hit at its time. Everybody wanted a sequel except Carpenter. And and this goes back to what I was saying. He'd done the film. He wanted to move on. He had other ideas he wanted to do. But contractually, they did have him, you know, to go back. And plus, he didn't want to direct it, so he'd give it over to Rick Rosenthal to do Halloween 2. And this comes in, again, partially to what Lucy was saying, is that the first Halloween is very restrained. There's no gore. There's virtually no blood in the film. It yeah. works on suspense. Halloween 2 throws in gore with the kitchen sink. And Rosenthal's first cut apparently was so awful allegedly Carpenter had to go back in and direct additional scenes and put them together. And Halloween 2 provides an ending to the whole thing. So you've got one which sets up the whole thing and it's open-ended. 
two as a very definite ending and it throws in twists like Michael Myers is Laurie Strode's brother, that sort of thing, which which kicks in at this point. But it ends it. I take it you've seen the first two, Lucy, have you? First two Halloween, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What, what did you think of them? Uh, decent. Obviously, again, Halloween, the first one, great concept, original, blah, blah, blah. And I just feel like the second one maybe didn't add as much as the first one did. And then I sort of gave up on it for a bit. And I watched like the most recent sort of installment. You know, it's just called Halloween again. Yeah. That one was a fun ride. It, it didn't add anything new, but I thought it was fun at least. And it's interesting the circle it, they they got to. So after those first two Halloweens, what Carpenter wanted to do is, right, okay, we, we finished Michael Myers. We're now going to do a different story every Halloween or every other Halloween. So Halloween 3, mm-hmm. season, season of the Witch. It's the only Halloween that doesn't have Michael Myers. It's a plot about using elements of Stonehenge to to bring back the true spirit of Sam Hain, the true spirit of Halloween, and kills all these kids with these masks that crush them to death and put giant spiders into them. Yeah, you, you know. must have loved that. I didn't enjoy the spiders. No, the concept was different, and it was a huge box office failure. So that went out the window, and Halloween went away. But then again, we. You go back to Saw, this this whole thing of we could make money out of this. So they did Halloween 4, 5, and 6, The Return of Michael Myers, The Revenge of Michael Myers, The Curse of Michael Myers, you know, sort of the oh, yeah. My, Michael That's Myers. Why I <laughs> yeah, and, and they were rubbish. Yeah, it, it was just crazy, wasn't it? I mean, they brought back Myers and Donald Pleasance, both of whom had died in two. <laughs> and, and they had this random story that then they, they started going around with, which was just shocking. And then they brought in Halloween H2O, where Kevin Williamson, who was big at the time because he'd done Scream, had written a script which ended the whole Halloween cycle properly this time. It was 20 years on, Laurie Strode, Jamie Lee Curtis's character was suffering from post-traumatic stress. Myers comes back and it's how she plots. And she clearly kills him at the end. Yeah. Do you remember that one? Vaguely. <laughs> yeah, all right. That made an impression then, didn't it? Um, it's a shame because obviously, you know, Jeff, you and I are horror fans, but I feel like when there's a franchise of so many different sequels and whatever, yeah. it's very easy to sort of get bored. You know that you love the original, so then you just kind of like, Neh. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and that's the problem with these things because now, so we had one ending in two, we had another yeah. ending in H2O, but no. Oh, it's the worst. <laughs> yeah, and then Resurrection, you know, where they kill off Laurie Strode. Oh, it's just really enough. And then. Why? Turn off your final girl. Stop this. Yeah. But <laughs> <Nonsense>. then. Yeah, <laughs> and, and then, not to be outdone, Rob Zombie comes in and decides to remake the whole thing. So, how many is that? Is that about 10 or 12 they've made? Uh, hang on, one, two, oh, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve of what's coming this year. Twelve? Yeah. What were your thoughts on the Rob Zombie ones? Because I've got a feeling they're going to be pretty similar to mine. Yeah, I didn't like them at all. No offence to Rob Zombie, not that he's listening, of course, but um, uh, I don't like might be. He might be. Like big fan. Big I fan of the show. I haven't been impressed with anything he's done um, and he didn't really add anything new to you know I think if you reboot a film you should at least try and add something to it do you know what I mean yeah he didn't I'm kind of like well what was the point then yeah <laughs> well, he made it gore yeah that was about it really that exactly I mean Rob Zombie's known for his gore known for his shock factor 
that that was yes that was his you know kind of take on it and the part of his style that he put into it but it just didn't work unfortunately um i know some people who like it and it's just but i would much rather stick with the originals yeah yeah and that brings us back to where we are now with the new halloween we've got halloween kills coming later this year hopefully cinema releases mm-hmm. permitting and followed next year yeah. by the title halloween ends and i put in brackets i'll believe it when i see it it's just one of those things it's a very slight idea nothing to me has ever come up to the first one ever yeah can i say something quickly on titles actually you made a really yeah. good point there they love to do the whole oh the final chapter oh yeah. the end they don't end it and i'm like come on this is so sloppy like yeah. if you're going to end something and call it the final chapter that should be the final chapter guys like so did that and, and, then and friday the 13th yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, it, that's something that really get, like kind of grinds my gears a bit. I'm kind of like, all right, well, if you're going to end it, you should come up with a title that's at the end, and maybe you could do prequels or something. No, I, I agree. So, I agree. So, having gone through this, yeah, and, and spoken about two franchise in depth, what makes for yeah. a bad hor- horror franchise? Uh, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I would say to me, Friday the Thirteenth. I didn't particularly like the first one. Even Kevin Bacon in First Friday the 13th didn't make it stand out. Ah. But, yeah, and Candyman, great first concept. I hated Nightmare on Elm Street. And The Descent, I'm not even going to go there. Oh, The Descent. I absolutely love the first Descent film. I think it's fantastic. The second one, obviously it's going to be full of spoilers in this entire podcast, but... In 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 the descent, in the, the the proper ending, the one that I consider true, she dies down there. She dies basically hallucinating about a daughter, and she's going to get eaten by crawlers. That's the end, right? Yes. Why was there a second one? <laughs> it was ludicrous, and it was the, the story wasn't even that good for the second one either. I mean, I I don't even think I finished it quite frankly. And no, I, I very soon to film off, but I was just like, no, <laughs> you, I just couldn't. You know the story of how that sequel come about, yeah. I don't actually know. So I like to hear it though. In um in America when they were sorting out its release. So there's a sequence mm. at the end with this woman stuck in this cave and she imagines she gets out of the cave, gets to the car and is about to drive yep. off when something leaps up behind her and kills her. She then wakes up and she's back in the cave. She ne- there was no way of ever getting out of there. What the Americans did was cut that bit where she goes back to the cave. So or wakes up in the cave. So to them she's escaped. Right. And that's how they do oh. this ludicrous sequel. I see. Okay. I knew there must have been an alternative ending, but I must admit I haven't seen that version. Yeah, no, um, it's, I, I don't think I want to. Because I've got, I've got the UK DVD, which obviously has the original ending on it. Yeah. Which is brilliant. And, and The Descent is a prime example of a film that should have just been left alone. Yeah. Because it ends on a horrible note. You know, it's kind of that feeling of dread as it pans out and just lying there and all you can hear is the crawlers. That's the end. That, that should be it. Yeah. You can't do anything else with that. I mean, Neil and Graham, if you need to self-isolate, this is something you have to see. No, thank you. <laughs> Honestly, it's a, it's a great film. Like, genuinely. No. Yeah, Neil Marshall, <laughs> British. It's British. Yeah. I'll just watch Onward again. Yes. Oh, I love Onward. <laughs> ah, yeah. We just discussed it with Phil. Yeah, they ripped the piss out of me over yeah. it with my review. Yeah. Um, Jeff thinks it's a Christian <laughs> It's a Christian narrative. film. It's a Christian oh, parable. Oh, it's not. You, you, you about this and I was like you are wrong 
That's what everybody Thank says. Thank you, Lucy. Yeah. Well, I will quote to you. Oh, what, oh no, 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 no. Yeah, no, 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 I'm going to quote. Christian this is websites. from the Christian Chronicle, right? Slippery slope, Jeff. <laughs> Onward has... Onward, a strong moral element stressed in family reconciliation, sacrifice and stepping out in faith. Many of the plot devices recall the clear Christian sacramental devices in that great movie, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, where each test in the search of the Holy Grail demands Christian virtues. I rest my case. This is Christian paradolia. (laughs) These are the people who see the face of Christ in a bun or a crisp. (laughs) They see parallels oh, everywhere. Interesting looking vegetable. Yeah. You need to repent. Oh, no, hang on. His men. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. I can't wait for that review to come out. So, I think a lot of these, where these bad horror films come, I'd be interested in your view on this, is because these directors have moved on, you get producers who buy the property who think, we can make a quick buck here. Yeah. And yeah, yeah it, well, let's remake the same thing all over again. We don't care that the normal, you know, the people that created this. I mean, Blair Witch, another classic example. Great first yeah. film. What the? F- <laughs> that second film was. I do not know. I didn't like it. So let's look at the other side of this. What makes a good horror franchise? And are there examples? And again, I've written down a couple of titles. Oh, Evil Dead. But have- I think two and three are much better than one. So that's Evil mm, Dead I Two. Only Evil Dead, so you can. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, <laughs> but I'm not. Well, Sam Raimi made the first Evil Dead with virtually no yeah. money. I mean, it's a stunning tour de force as a, as a piece of direction. And in fact, there's a, a scene at the very end. The final scene of Evil Dead is you see this monster from the, the camera's the monster's point of view, dashes down this hill, goes into the cabin, the door flies open, hits two other doors, ends up on Bruce Campbell's face as he starts screaming. The camera work was so effective and it was so cheap that the cameraman broke two ribs, breaking one of the doors to get in there. Um, so, oh, that's a real dedication. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He kept going. He Good kept man. going with two broken ribs. But what they then did with Evil Dead 2 is, okay, you know, it was a bit over the top, it was a bit gory, but people responded to the comedy. So they almost they almost went back and remade the first one as the first 10 minutes and then the rest as a comedy. And I'll, oh, give, you, no. I'll give you an example of this. His hand becomes possessed. Right. So he gets an axe and he starts chopping his own hand off, the possessed hand. And he said, you know, he's, as he's doing it, he says, who's laughing now as he's chopping his hand off? <laughs> and he puts it in this box and then piles all these books on it to keep it there. The final one being Ernest Hemingway's A Farewell, oh, farewell to Arms. To arms. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but my absolute favourite moment in this film in Evil Dead 2. You're not selling it. <laughs> so they've got this creature that they locked into the cellar. And, of course, it's trying to get out the cellar in this cabin. At one point, it it almost starts to get its head out. So the heroine's on the other side of the room. She starts screaming. Bruce Campbell, the hero, Ash, leaps onto the trap door, compressing this thing's head, and its eyeball pops out. You see it fly across the room and straight into this woman's mouth who's screaming. (laughs) It's just like, really? I've seen that scene. I've seen that. (laughs) You've got a shift from horror of the first to this comedy horror of the second, which is really funny. So where do you take it then? So for the third Army of Darkness, they send him back in time. And it's like Arthurian Ray Harryhausen battling the Dreadites, which are the horror creatures in Evil Dead. 
And it's just amazing. And the bizarre thing with this film is there are two endings. He filmed a brilliant ending, which the studios didn't like because they felt, well, we can't do a sequel to this. So they made him do another one where he's having a gun battle with these things in Tesco. In, yeah, in a supermarket. It could be like Tesco's. In fact, the way things are at the moment, it may well be like Tesco's. <laughs> um, that, to me, is, is, is where it works. It's, it's the tone. Yeah. And, you definitely aren't the first person to say that, and I think obviously based on these conversations, I need to get it watched ASAP. To be honest, oh yeah, um, no, yeah. I think I've been a bit shunned by the community for not actually watching it. <laughs> but well, I, yeah, I, we'll I get... work with two shunners here who uh, won't watch it. <laughs> I got the DVD. Yeah. Have you? Yeah, I well, by mistake. Haven't actually, haven't actually put it on yet. Yes. <laughs> I've been called worse. Evil Dead Two, I got because yeah, Evil Dead Two is brilliant. It is brilliant. Oh, no, Lucy, you'd love it. Uh, Say so the first one is not that great. It's got that okay. reputation because it got banned in Britain. The, the video nasty debate. They took it off the shelves. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, Night of the Living Dead is another one. You got Night, <laughs> Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead. In 1968, George Romero brought us Night of the Living Dead. It became the classic horror film of its time. Not that room, not that room! Now, George Romero brings us the most intensely shocking motion picture experience for all times. It gets up and kills. The people it kills get up and kill. This situation must be controlled before it's too late. They are multiplying too rapidly. Dawn. Of the dead. Meet me on the roof at nine o'clock. Get out. I don't believe it. We're gonna get out in the chopper. We've got to survive. Somebody's got to survive. They kill for one reason. They kill for food. They eat their victims. They're classic though. They're classic. But but don't you find the tone shifts in each one? Oh yeah, absolutely. It it does, but it's a rare example of of making that work. I think sometimes it can be very bad, but in the way this franchise does it it just it works in my opinion anyway yeah no i i think you're right i mean that first film when he made it in Mm -hmm. pittsburgh in 1968 it was very much about vietnam and americans coming back from vietnam so the society had polarized Mm. he also did something well apart from the gore which was quite unique for that sort of film at that time he had a black guy is it duane jones Mm. i think it was duane jones played the lead in a Major, well, not a major. It was a low budget film, but it, but it, an American film. They did not have black leads at that time. Wow, he takes mm-hmm. control, doesn't he? He does take control. Yeah, and and then the second film in which came out in nineteen seventy nine, Dawn of the Dead, is this humorous piece on consumerism. You know, where they all hide out in a shopping centre. I've seen that one. Yeah, and I think what I love about that is I feel like obviously you have you then have Shaun of the Dead which yeah. is like obviously a parody of that. And I feel like that's become the most iconic one, <laughs> you could argue. Yes. Yeah. 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 Neil's just thrown me out of orbit by saying he's watched a zombie film other than <gasps> Shaun of the Dead. You have oh watched <laughs> Dawn of the Dead. You know, earlier you said that yeah, I only go to see um, horror films when I'm tricked by Jeff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he, uh, Shaun of the Dead was coming up and Jeff said, you can't watch it until you've seen... Dawn, the of, dawn the of the Dead. And I said, mm-hmm. okay, I'll watch it, then we'll go and see it. And, of course, Jeff didn't tell me when he was going, so I didn't go to see it, and I had to watch it on DVD for the first time when it came out When it came out six months later. So, yeah, it was a complete waste of time. <laughs> and, uh, to be fair, it wasn't a bad <laughs> film. You're talking about the Zack Snyder remake. 
maybe. Yeah, you're not talking about the original. Uh, okay. You wouldn't have. A, I don't think you'd have a problem with the original. They all sound the same. Yes. Yeah, yeah. The word "dead" is a bit of a giveaway, yeah. isn't it? Really. Jesus wept. Um, Did they go down the Winchester and have a cold pint <laughs> until everything blows over? It's, it's all about consumerism. I mean, you'd like it. I think you'd like it. Consumerism. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a point at the end where they built this society in this supermarkets. They've got every consumer good you could possibly want. I mean, they raid a gun shop and they got top-of-the-range guns and the guy says the only person that could miss with this gun is the person who could afford it. <laughs> that's very clever it's pretty good I think you get on with it but anyway there's a point at the end of the film where things have broken down the zombies are starting to take over and they've got to escape but one guy doesn't want to leave because this is like heaven so he's weighing up do I leave or do I kill myself here because there's no point going to anywhere because there's nothing left Ooh. existential existential crisis right yeah okay. you've seen Day of the Dead Lucy that's the one in the um, where they're trying to train the zombies to kill zombies, and it's in a military base. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah when they rip that guy apart, they start to eat his guts, and he says, "Go on, choke on them, you bastards!" <laughs> right, sounds like the girl with all the gifts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a bit like that, but no, it's quite good. Okay, so what about yourself, Lucy? What other good ones? Or well, have I stolen them all now? Um, no, I think um, I quite like the scream ones actually. Scream's quite cool. And I think it works because it's kind of like, obviously, horror comedy and it's about, like, you know, almost like copycat killers and stuff. So that that did work for me, actually. Yeah, no, I would agree. I think Kevin Williamson, certainly that first one, he'd set the rules up quite nicely. And then you can play... It's a whodunit horror, essentially, Scream. You might enjoy them. Is that the one with the funny face mask? Based on the Scream. (laughs) Based on the Scream, yeah. Yeah. It'd be all right with that. Yeah, I find the Munch painting disturbing enough. Um, conjuring. Yeah, the Conjuring is, is quite interesting. But the Conjuring is, is even more bizarre because you've got the direct sequels and then you've got the spin-off films like Annabelle, which has now gone to three films, The Nun, which is the most god-awful thing I've seen for years. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> And they did another one, didn't they? Oh, The Curse of La Llorona. Oh, La I didn't even see that. I just... No, nah. that, that was equally shit. So <laughs> so my question then, Lucy, to you is, we've spoken here on what's good and bad, and it seems, you know, if the main creative forces leave them, they tend to fall apart. If they stay with them, do tonal shifts, they're quite good. But a lot of horror films don't have sequels. And if there's one of those films that only had one film that you'd like to see franchised, what would it be? A really good question. Am I allowed to like rewrite an entire franchise and do it? Yep, that's a good one as well, yeah. You know what? I think, obviously, we spent a lot of time ranting about Halloween. So perhaps we could sort of do Halloween properly and maybe give Michael Myers a backstory and just do it correctly. Do you know what I mean? That might have been cool. Rather than just killing off people and doing crazy, stupid stuff. Because I love, you know, villains with a good backstory. I love that kind of thing. So I would love to see more on Michael Myers and... Just, just do it well. Do it like you know, make him well rounded, like Jigsaw is. Like that's that's what bothered me about him actually. No, I, I just wish we could see more about him. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's a really good shout for me. Like, not not his face because part of the appeal is never seeing his face really. But you know, just kind of give him a bit of history, give him a bit, like flesh him out a bit. I would really enjoy that. Yeah, yeah, rather than being as you say, just this faceless, nameless killer, essentially. 
perhaps that's part of the the appeal for some people, kind of the, ooh, who is he, ooh, what's he doing, you know. Yeah. But I, I love, love context, I love backstory, I love villains that, you know, have motives, have psychological, you know, kind of profiles. I love that stuff. That, that's part of what draws me into, like, crime and horror so much. It's it's kind of what's going on in their head. It, it's really fascinating to me. And No, that's, that's, I think that's that's very fair, that, because that builds tension. That's a really good idea, actually. I would like to see Clarice Starling's another couple of investigations that she does, not follow the Hannibal yeah. Lecter character, but actually follow her story where she gets promoted in the FBI and then she becomes a chief investigator and they call her back for a couple of weirdo murders and she has to lead the investigation. I'd like to see something like that. Obviously her dynamic with Hannibal in Silence of the Lambs is just phenomenal and I feel like it would be cool to see her interact with other people as well. I just, I'm all here for that. Yeah. I really want to see that. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Neil, have you got one that you'd like to see? No, you're looking at me <laughs> blankly. What a waste of flaming time even asking the question, wasn't it, really? Yep. Yeah, it was an act of sheer optimism it if was. I ever heard one. <laughs> well, bury them all. Neil's non-answer makes mine all the better. Yeah. Nightbreed. What the hell is Nightbreed? Nightbreed is based on Clive Barker's book, Cabal. Uh, it was a film in the early 90s, and it's it's about Midian, the land of monsters. And it's one of those inversions where the monsters, they're not particularly pleasant, but they aren't the real monsters. The humans are the real monsters. And at the end of Nightbreed, Midian has been almost destroyed and they have to go out into the world. And I'd like to see adventures following their stories. And the lead character of Boone, who gets bitten by a monster and becomes half human, half monster, is a fascinating dynamic. Now, to be fair, Barker himself hasn't completed the book series. So, uh, you know, there's so much scope for this. And I think it would be an absolutely tremendous thing for um, something like Netflix to pick up. Mm. Oh, yeah, that would be good. Yeah. Have you seen Nightbreed? No, I haven't. It got heavily cut before coming out and release. And they've just brought out a Blu-ray version uh, limited edition of uh, the director's cut of what was in there. I've got it. I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. By by all accounts, it's the piece of work everybody thought it was, you know, really good. So, yeah, that's what I'd like to see. But I think I will reiterate what I said. I think that where we are is if you put the time, it's, I guess it's like every sequel, if you put the time into it, yeah. you want to really concentrate on where you're going, like a George Romero with the dead films, like a Sam Raimi with the evil, evil dead films, then you get something rewarding out of it. But if you do a, and I, Paranormal Activity is the best example, you've got a great one-off film, but you have no idea where to take this thing other than make an underwater vacuum cleaner appear scary, although probably to Neil it would be. Um, you know, you're, you're on a loser. But there's so many great new ideas out there for net, and Netflix is picking them up. So you've got Lock and Key, which is the Joe Hill uh, comic book which they've turned into a horror series for Netflix. There's also Dark Ark, which is the... So when God tells Noah to fill the ark... Oh, Christian thing. A Christian thing. Yeah, well, Satan also had his own ark, which he filled with all the night creatures, and that was called the Dark Ark. And unfortunately, the uh, unicorns got on the on the wrong arc. But that's that's, <laughs> another, that's another side. So that's a comic book series, which is you know it's yeah. in its 
it's like five books now. Oh, wow. They could make a really good series out of that. I th- I think, and there's a, there's a point, Lucy, I'd like to come back to you on this and talk again about horror on TV. Okay, yeah. I mean, there's a hell of a lot at the moment, pardon the pun. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think, you know, is it going in the right direction? Like Walking Dead, are, are we 10 series too many in? Um, <laughs> And and things like that. So we've looked at film and franchising, but horror on on TV is is something that is very intriguing. I think Gray makes a good point there. So I think we'll end this one here. And what I'll do then is put together a part two on this on horror on TV. That would be really good. Yeah, I think there's been some really good contemporary examples recently, so we should definitely dive into that. Thank you. That was a really good discussion. (laughs) Thank you very much, Lucy. We'll see you again next time. 